Thanks for joining us for the Changing the Industry podcast, where we try to effectuate change for the better, one conversation at a time. Part of that change is providing help for those that need it. This is why we've partnered with the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence. Whether it's help with sales, operations, or just getting your numbers in order, these folks are some of the very best in the industry. And for our listeners, they'll sit down with you and go over your strengths, your weaknesses, and the opportunities that are in front of you. They'll create a customized plan for how to move forward absolutely free. That's right, free. And if your plan includes one-on-one coaching, they can also help you with that. There's no hard sales pitch, no obligation, just honest help from honest people. So if that's something that you think could benefit you, make sure you click on the link in the show notes. And now, on to the show. I, I don't think no. I've given you this update yet. Um, and I know David knows, but uh, Scott is out here QCing cars right now. Cannot get him to go home. He won't do it. Is and that because of home stuff? Like no. stuff going on at home? And I'm, she's, uh, they have, uh, they came back two weeks ago. He came in and he said, uh, he said, I, I don't know what any of this means. Can you help me? They're putting her on a oh. different chemotherapy. I'm like, what do you mean they're putting her on a different chemotherapy? So, well, they're putting her on a, a chemotherapy that is this, this, and this. And I said, well, let, let's look into it. And so I look it up and it's kind of like, this is the last resort kind of medicine. This is right? his, like this his is, wife or this girlfriend that was at the floor. See, I didn't know, even know she was sick. Yeah. Nobody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's terrible. Yeah. So it's, it's inoperable. And he, I said, well, so what do, what have they found out? And he said, well, it came back, doubled in size in her breast after they had taken it out, doubled in size in her lungs, uh, in her left lung. It grew in her kidney or no, in her liver. And it's back Jeez. on the brain. And it's back on the bone. My man. And he's just like, I'm, I'm on him all the time. I'm like, dude, go home, go home, go home. He's like, I don't want to go home. I want to be here. I want to be at work. I, I can't. That's what I want to do. I'm like, How long have they been together? That's, okay. 10 years, 11 years, something like that. Well, long time. That's, it, and she's local to you, right? Like they live in, in the, the area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they live, um, you know, that road that we took that, like I took you out and not, there were all the yeah. deer and we kept yeah. having to stop and there were people in the road every couple of miles. Um, if you just go straight out through there, that's where they live. Right. So remember when you were Probably talking about, about some of the, what is it, there. the runoff from the Christmas trees or whatever that was causing, is this what's happening? Mm-hmm. No, probably. Yeah. I'd say so. And your mom went through it. It's crazy, right? Yeah. I mean, 40, she's my 48 age. 48 years old. And your mom beat cancer, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yep. She's not beat it, but she's, long story short, she'll... Right. It's going to be manageable yeah. for the rest of her life, right? So, you know, I mean, she for the for all intensive purposes, mm. she did beat it, right? There's no doubt about that. Yeah. But like, you know, I mean, it, it. And I mean, that's the thing is, I think that's something we're all going to face one day, right? I, I I remember like when all the crazy anxiety started for me. I was like this little kid I was watching wow. TV and it was on PBS or whatever, and they were talking about the fact that if you're over the age of, I think it was if you were over the age of. Uh, um, 10 and you were under the age of 80 
in the United States at that time uh-huh. that you were going to die of cancer. Like the, the probability was like so high right. that when you died, you'd have cancer that they were confident in saying like, yeah. Hey, this is going to be a thing, right? It's going to get worse. And I'm like, dude, that's crazy. You know, I look back at it now. I'm like, Holy crap. It's still crazy. But you know, it, it sucks when you mm-hmm. see somebody affected like that and like, she's okay with it. And, and the thing was, is she came back and she's like, the one thing that I'm happy about is I don't have to do radiation because she had to do radiation before. And so when they do radiation on the brain, like you lose your eyesight in some cases, you lose your hearing in some cases, you lose your memory. It changes yeah, your personality you and who you are. It makes you really sick. Yeah. You might better be dead. Yeah. Honestly, like if you're going to lose who you are, what's the point uh, of yeah. being alive? Because you're not really who you were. That's the way I see it. So Exactly. Yeah. It's tough. It's tough. But I mean, you know, it's hard to it's hard to say that to somebody and and, and watching them go through this deal where it's almost impossible for him to take care of her. Right. Because she, she wants to be, mm-hmm. she wants to still be herself. Mm-hmm. She wants to, to be independent. She wants to be able to do what she wants yeah. to do and, and take care of herself and seeing somebody get to the point. And, and, you know, we've talked about before how like I, and, and David will, David will attest to this. Like I remember yeah. I was always a scrapper, yeah. right? Like I love to fight. And now I'm getting older and it's like, I know I can't fight like I used to. My back doesn't work like it used to, right? I'll end up hurting myself. I, I have to shoot you if I want to kill you. You know, <laughs> see what I'm saying? Like, so, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I couldn't imagine losing that to that degree. My 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 brother woke up the you other know? morning with a, because of his neighbor, right? So, he's still at my mom and my dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because of oh, the shit, really? adjourn, court adjourn keeps getting pushed back. So it's been now six weeks that he's been not able to go back to his house, right? Because of the neighbor. Yeah. Did he get like is, a gym yeah. membership so finally or something? He calls me the other day. He says, um, I had this dream where I woke up and uh, the the neighbor had stabbed um, the dog's name is Snickers, his lab. And he says that uh, the dream was I, I grabbed the... Uh, he says, I grabbed a fire axe. I don't know how he got a fire axe. He says, and I, I bust down it through their front door and he says, I cut the head off of both of them, Kevin and the other guy. That was his dream. And then he said, right. the cop showed up and he took me off to jail. And he said, uh, and I woke up, he said, yeah, he I'm- said, I woke up calm. He said, cause he said, I was like, I felt like that's what that guy had coming and deserved it. Yeah. That's probably not a good sign. <laughs> Um, you know, I, I, I had this crazy dream the other day. And so like, you know, I, David, David, do you use the workflow board in shopware? Yeah. Well, so like I, I, I had this crazy dream and, and if y'all ever had a dream that you just can't get out of, you know what I mean? Like it, it not even necessarily scary. It's like you wake up and, and like you go back to sleep and you're right back in the middle of it or you're like, inside. I don't dream. Well, like I'm, I like I get this thing where I'm partially in consciousness, and I'm like I'm having this dream, right? And so I came to the shop after after or that morning. And I'm like, I had this like terrible dream. It wasn't like a nightmare, but it was like all of these clients calling and all of these vendors calling and all these people wanting money and all these clients calling like, "Where's my car? Where's my car?" And like just trying to. And so in my dream, I'm trying to describe mm-hmm. to my employees what it's like, and they're like, "Oh my god." I'm, they're like, what? I'm like, why, why are y'all looking at me like that? And they said, because 
in your dream, you're stuck in shopware. <laughs> It's terrible. They're like, you need I was just saying that, that's what, your, what your dream is telling Damn me is that it. you need to get away from the shop. And I don't mean away from the shop, like on a, you know, uh, one of your things, that, one of your trips that you're going on. Yeah. Like an actual trip vacation, like for longer than three days. Like, yeah, no, we're, yeah. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Um, Here's what I found is they, uh, Lucas and I have been telling you about parts tech for a while now. And how it gives you access to unlimited parts and tire vendors and direct integration with over 35 shop management systems. And now they've just launched a new referral program. All you have to do is open your parts tech account, go to my shop, and click on the rewards tab. There you'll find your referral URL, which you can share via email, text message, or on your social media. If your referral signs up for a new account and places five orders in the first 30 days, parts tech will send you a $100 gift card. That's it. Nothing else is needed. Your referrals can get you $100 just for using parts tech, which by the way, is absolutely free to get started with. So if you're using parts tech already, start sharing that referral link. And if you haven't signed up for parts tech yet, what are you waiting for? Click on the link in the description or go to partstech.com forward slash podcast. That's partstech.com forward slash podcast. Hey, one more thing. If you find out that your shop management system doesn't integrate with parts tech, it's time to upgrade. David and I use what we believe to be the very best system on the market, shopware. With unmatched features like parts GP optimizer and DVX, which is their digital vehicle experience, shopware really is way more than just a shop management software. With it, you'll be able to create an immersive and interactive experience for your client, setting you apart from everyone else using run-of-the-mill software. Are you ready to upgrade? Click the link in the show notes to get started. Uh, the problems are still there. When you get back from the vacation, you're just poor and slightly older. But what's, what's everything's still there? <laughs> Nothing has been fixed. Te- David, tell us what tell us what's yeah, happened. I'm in the past couple weeks. Well, nothing's nothing's happened. It's just normal shop life. It's the joys of being a shop owner. Hey, did you know that you can reduce your chance of cancer by sixty percent? If you take high-dose vitamin D, really, omega-3 fatty acids, so a regular dose of that, and uh, some exercise, and, you know, like walking, it's uh, that's whatever cool. whatever your fitness so level is. I, I have 60%, a question. Did you just look this just, up? No, no, this, this uh, had just come out in the last few weeks. It was, a, I think it was a Danish study. Uh, they had, they were checking each one individually. So they were checking, like, does exercise have any effect on yeah. the risk of cancer? And they found out that it was negligible. Right. Uh, and now exercise, of course, heart reduces yeah. heart problems. Yeah. And, and right. Other the, things, other, right? the other things yeah. that can cause. The, the other things that can kill you. Um, but they were checking omega-3 fatty acid. They were checking vitamin D. They were checking some other things. But those three in combination was the uh, the magic pill. 60% reduction. In that's older crazy. people, but that's not in treatment. Uh, that's a re- that's age. of, of that up. that's not in treatment. prevention. Prevention, but I mean, yeah. how do they come up with? How do they I know mean, that it actually worked? Like, how do they know that those people were going to get cancer and it prevented it? Do they just look at genetic markers, or do they look at like family history? Well, no, they, so they, you have a control group, and you have a, a, a non-control group. So you have one that you're giving those three things too and people that you're not giving those three things to and sure. you follow them over a long period of time 
and you see who got, how many right. got cancer and how many didn't get cancer. And if 60% reduction, if you take these three things, that group had a uh, 60% chance less likely I, or were getting I understand cancer the ana- and analytics of how it works. I'm just trying to wrap my head around the idea of like those people might've been predetermined to get cancer anyway, is what I'm trying to say. Well, and it, it's, it's like this situation, right? I think about the situation you, you look at some people and they get it and it's something that, that typically right. is not easily controlled and they control it. Um, you, you have other people who, you know, and, and I'll take, um, my wife's stepdad, for instance, who got it and they treated it once. And when it came back, it came back with a vengeance. It was two months. Right. And, and the same thing with the situation we're just talking about is when it came back, like they, they dealt with it, but then Mm -hmm. it was like, it went everywhere. And so the research that we did is there's, there's two different types of breast cancer or there, there's probably more than that. But what I was reading is there's like a hers, this and a hers, that. And so one of them has like these little antennas on it. And so if it has those little antennas, it's going to absolutely spread like wildfire Mm -hmm. everywhere into everything. And it's just like that. I mean, it's not, if you have that, it's a bad sign. Right. And so they say like, Hey, if you, if you get this, you, you have to take very aggressive action very quickly. And I don't, you know, definitely don't want to take my advice on it because I don't know what the heck I'm talking about, but it was, I was reading it to talk to them about this medication because they didn't understand it and trying to understand to help him understand. So he knew what to expect. And, and, you know, it, it, it goes back to like the, the side effects. We always laugh about the side effects because you're like, if I take that medication, right. And you see all that list of side effects and like one of the side effects of it is death. And, and so I was talking to her about it and she said, well, but, you don't understand, like it, it literally says the second most common side effect is a lung issue that, that causes death. But like, what's like, that's not right. going to change the outcome of this. Like this might extend it, but yeah. either way, that is the outcome. I I've always struggled with that outcome, right? Like I, and the reality that it's coming for all of us. Like when I was a kid, I, that was a, that was a hard thing for me <laughs> to like grasp. My parents always did this thing with religion where they're like, you know, you should just pray about it and by the stripes of Jesus, you're healed. And and like they, mm-hmm. they did it with all the love in the world. Right. But me as a kid, like I looked up and I'm like, well, there's some magical thing that's going to protect me and I'm going to be okay. And it's all going to exp- like, I'm going to be immortal. And then like one day you wake up and you realize you're not immortal. Right. Like you could walk outside tomorrow and that could be it. Now, like you, you own a shop and after owning a shop for a while, you're kind of like, well, golly, when's it coming, man? Like, bring it on. (laughs) Sorry, David. That was your line. I don't know. I don't know where Christians get this idea that if they pray, they'll be protected physically. Right. There's a a story in the Bible. uh, The guy's name was Stephen. Stephen uh, was talking to uh, the Jews. He had been converted and he was talking to them about some of the stuff that they had done in the past, uh, specifically persecuting people that were sent to them by God. God would send people out. Hey, we need you to do this. And they would persecute these people. So he's pointing this out. Now they were very upset by this. 
but this is a devout man, Stephen is. Yeah. Uh, and you would think that if physical protection was a thing, that he wouldn't have uh, met the fate that he did. And what happened to him was he was dragged out to the city outskirts, and he didn't stop his his rebuking. Uh, and they uh, they picked up yeah, stones, stones and they pelted him to death. Uh, and and they they stoned him while another guy his his name was Saul was holding everybody's coats while they uh, got loosened up and and uh, stoned him to death. Now here's a devout man that you would think he could call up and say, yeah. "Hey, God protect me." No, um, but that's not how that works. He was stoned I, to death. <laughs> well, and and you know, so it, it's interesting you bring that up because like we were talking about. And and Jeff, I think I sent it to you. Brian and I were talking about it, but that Jordan Peterson um, interview where he was talking to the Catholic <clears throat> priest, right? And they were talking about the the passion story and what what did he believe? Like the story of the passion really was deep down inside. And then he was he was talking. David, did I, didn't I say get that it either? To you? Did you watch that? Just send I didn't get a lot of stuff, dear. <laughs> so he he's he's talking about the two the two primary stories that he had studied in the Bible. And he was talking about Moses, and he was talking about Moses's followers that were continually being bitten by serpents, right? And they had faced tyranny under the ruler, and now they come out and and they go into the desert for what was it, David? Forty years or something like that. Yeah. And so they they go into the desert and they're they're attacked by these snakes. And they go to Moses and they said, hey, listen, you kind of got a good connection with God. Couldn't you like ask him mm-hmm. to, to help us with these snakes? And so Jordan Peterson's talking about it. And he said, so Moses goes to God and God didn't take the snakes away. What did God do? He told him to put a serpent on his staff. And he said, so the way that he interpreted that was, is that it was God saying that the challenge is the meaning of life. Right, your cross to bear is the meaning of life. Like that, that hardship, that struggle. There is no chance that you're going to get out of life without it. And so he, he went on to talk about clinical psychology, and he said that that you know when they were teaching people how to get over an anxiety, how to get over something. I personally connect with this. Right, was when they're teaching them to get over that, they they get them to voluntarily face their fears, like their worst fear. And so they have them voluntarily face it. And so the point was, is by putting the the serpent on the staff and stabbing it into the ground, it was that the people realized that the challenge was the thing they were overcoming. That was the purpose of being there. That was the meaning of their lives. Hmm. And so, you know, he points out that in clinical psychology, it took them hundreds of years to figure that out. But the story in the Bible literally laid it out like that in his opinion of how it was before. And so he, he goes on and he talks about the passion story. I'll send you both the link again so you can watch it. But he's talking about the passion story. And he said, you know, it, at the clinical level, when you're interviewing people and you're talking to people who have fears and anxieties and all of these different things, he said, one of the primary fears that human beings have is being unfairly persecuted. And he's like, I'm not talking about they know how to analyze that and put it in words and explain it. But he said, you know, think of the passion story. Well, you know, it was this perfect human being who was wholly perfect, right? Like there was no, there was no even question to the fact they were perfect and they were, they were genuinely wholly good, right? There was nothing bad about them and yet they were persecuted and they were persecuted in the worst possible way. And it was like the sum of all fears for the human psyche. 
And I thought that was just an interesting perspective or an interesting way to look at that, yeah. that concept, you know? Well, it's, it's, uh, it is interesting, uh, but it's something everybody ignores. Everybody yep. ignores that part. I don't which, know why. Which part? Do you mean that it's that everybody the suffering part? The suffer every the, everybody like oh just pray on it. Pray on what exactly? What am I supposed to escape? What is it that God is not going to is going to prevent me from uh, if, from experiencing that that the Son of God? If you believe it, you don't believe it. But if you believe it. The son of God was uh, un, just Lucas right. laid out unfairly persecuted, beaten to to within an inch of his life, and then suffered the most humiliating right. death yeah. at the time that you could okay. experience. He didn't escape suffering. Well, then, what makes I, you think I was you just going to say before you you got on that tangent. I think what what I drew from from what he was just saying and what you were mentioned when you say, "Well, nobody's escaping suffering." Maybe it's the fact that they're already seeking something is already the suffering that they're in. Do you understand what I mean by that? Like already well, suffering. That's why they're no. seeking. So I don't think it's anybody is like you, you, Dave, you said everybody ignores the suffering, they, but they're. No, no, no. Everybody ignores okay. that. They're not going to escape the suffering. Like they are suffering. I, I understand that they want relief, they, but the fact they're going down the wrong path to seek. There's it. no acknowledgement of the suffering is the path. The, the suffering is life. That's sure. part of the human existence. Like you're, yes, you're going to suffer. It's going Indeed. to be miserable. And then you die. Guess what? That is the human experience. Anything outside of that is a way out the, the, the way, uh, anomaly. We've, so but we've, I mean, we, we've made it where here's thing, everybody though. is, we're trying to eliminate the victim. For, like nobody wants to be a victim of anything, right? And it's just, it's easier to say instead of you just screwed up your own choices and that's why you're on the path that you are, we always want to just paint ourselves as the victim, which absolves us of all responsibility for the poor choices that we made. That's what I've come to really grasp. Sorry. Well, I agree with you there. I, I agree with you there. But think of people that aren't victims of their own fault. Think think of a child that right. is suffering from cancer. Uh, or a, a, or a child yet gets yeah. in a, a, yeah. some a drunk yeah. driver plows into that vehicle and now they're fighting for their lives and you look at that and that is that is injustice you look at that and go mm -hmm. why is this happening to this child this is horrible this child's never going to live a normal life or maybe they're going to die at an early age i was reading the most horrific story of this girl she had gotten pregnant she was i think 16 or 17 years old so you can imagine that's already mm -hmm. like a, a bad situation. This girl gave birth to this child in the hospital, put the child in a bag, put the oh yeah, the, Alex was the telling child me about this other day. in in the trash can, and then left. And you know why? Did you and read then why she did? A couple days it? later, she was seen with pictures that there, she was taking pictures at her prom. It was that the same story, Lucas? Yeah, and and so th she did that because she thought the mom would kill her. Her mom. I didn't read that part. The, she was yeah. at the prom with her boyfriend. Yeah. pictures like nothing had happened. A couple days later, they found the the child in the trash can. The hospital workers found the child in in the trash can with a 
with a plastic bag wrapped so around. Maybe must have been born head. pretty premature. Now, right? that's she, what I was. The, the mom didn't know she was pregnant. The story I, I heard was is the mom didn't know she was pregnant. She had hid, or she may yeah. not have even known because that can happen. And so she was so afraid of the mom's reaction. Now, as a parent, right, I look at that and say, what kind of failure have I been as a parent that you don't think that you can be honest with me and talk to me about these things? But even then, though, like, okay, you want to hide it, but then how do you leap from I'm going to hide it to I'm going to throw it in the trash? I don't don't get that. That leap is is difficult to make. But here's here's what my point is. That child was born into this world and then experienced being wrapped, thrown into a plastic bag with its head wrapped in plastic and then thrown into a trash to suffocate and die. That's not justice, right? And you look at those situations. Not the kid's fault, right? Not the kid's fault. Wrong place, wrong time, wrong mother. So how do do you justify that in your head? How do you look at that and go, well, why would God let that happen? And and this is what everybody, that's that's everybody's mistake. That's not God letting it happen. That is going to happen as a natural course of things that are just happening in daily life. Suffering even if you are, to, even if the mother hadn't killed the child and allowed the, the, the child, can you imagine that type of, I mean, she's David, you gotta, to a certain point, a psychopath, you, right? David, no, you got to no make me a promise. Okay? person does this. When, when I get to ASD, we need What's to that? sit down and discuss this um, religion for like a couple hours. Cause I'm actually really interested to hear, and I'm not trying to change the subject. I'm not I just, while well, it's in here. Cause I really want to pick your brain about some of it. If you don't mind. Well, I'll answer your questions real quickly here. It's suffering oh, is existence. Yeah. And just like Lucas said, if the son of God can't escape it, what makes you think that we are? There is well, no sense in asking for something that is never going to be granted to you. And, and that's not how that works anyways. But aside that, even if you don't want to make that leap, which is very difficult for some people to make that leap. But if you're going to say that, oh, if I just pray on it, God is going to grant me healing or God is going to do this for me or that or whatever, even in in situations of extreme injustice, such as the son of God, a perfect man suffering torture and then death, God didn't intervene. Okay, let's say that, well, his role was to come to earth and die, okay, for, for the sins of man. Okay, that's the way it's spelled out in the Bible. Let's say, well, he, yeah, he wasn't going to be relieved of his suffering. Uh, it, Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, talks about suffering in Second Corinthians. He talks about what he had to experience. That five times he was beaten by uh, the, his, his fellow brethren. Um, 40 lashes less one is what he says. And that he was beaten with rods three times. And that he was stoned and that he was, he experienced shipwrecking to the point where he was left adrift at sea with no hope for, for days at a time. And he talks about like over and over and over all these things that had happened to him. Like you read that and you go, this is a devout man who wrote most of the new Testament, essentially shaping all of Christianity. That person didn't experience, didn't escape suffering what makes you think i am well and and so here's the thing is is you know i've talked about it a lot 
and I, I'm going to catch shit for saying somebody's going to end up drunk tonight because I think I've said right. And, uh, you know, I've mentioned this before, but, um, you know, the drinking <laughs> game is in full fledged right now. Uh, you know, I, I really connect with the anxiety side of the story, right? Because I went through that personally and, and it was tough. Like I, I got myself all out of sorts over this. It was stupid. I look back at it and I think, God, how stupid was I to be in the situation that I was in? And, and, you know, I went and talked to somebody and, and, and it was at some point in talking to a clinical psychologist that they're like, Hey, you know, like you realize that you have two choices. You, you can, you can accept the suffering as it is, and you can lay in pity in the suffering and you can complain about it and you can talk about it and you can, you can be immersed in this terrible experience where you can't get out of bed over the fear of something that may or may not even happen, or you can embrace that. Because that is your life, right? Like the fears of these things happening, that it, you were going to experience fears your entire life. And then so like fast forward all these years later, and, and there is one particular, and it, it's the one video that got me watching some of the Jordan Peterson stuff because he is like, it's when he's young and he's yeah. teaching in school, right? And he's walking around, he's talking to these young people in this class and he they had asked a question and he's like, you know, like you, you will have to pick your shit up and you will have to face things that you don't feel like facing and you will have to, to encounter challenges and, and struggles and things that you don't want to encounter because that is life and you will have no choice but to either march forward or you will stop. And, and he goes on and he explains and he's like, I, I, what I'm trying to say is you, life is not effing fair. It's never going to be fair. Stop expecting life to be fair. Stop expecting it to always be fun. You know, and I think social media paints this picture of how great everybody else's life is. You're not seeing what they're going through. It's a highlight reel. And so, you know, we we look at technicians and shop owners, right? And I, you know, I, I've thought, I, I had this thought today and I, I just about sat down and, and did a live stream video in the group before we sat down to record. And I started to say like, hey, you know, maybe the first thing that we need to do is start by being kind to each other. Because I was watching, like, you know, a technician had said something. A bunch of owners piled on, mm-hmm. and it wasn't just in the group; it was somewhere else. And then it was a it was a owner who had said something. A bunch of techs piled on and said this, this, and this, and this, right? Because it's all friends, mm-hmm. and I, I run in this group of friends on Facebook. They're all friends, so I see their comments and I see what they're saying. I'm thinking, you know, maybe if if we started by a trying to be kind and understand where the other person's coming from. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's stop trying to dictate what it is that we feel and, and force our opinion. And it's really that everybody's being treated poorly or, you know, I, I, I'm going to catch shit for this. But in the group itself, I have felt like many times there is some serious entitlement or victim mentality going on. Right. Like, if you don't like what is happening, yeah. then for God's sakes, change it. Well, I can't change it, but man, listen, if you can change, if if you can't change it, nobody can change it, right? Like I, I don't have any more potential of changing it than anybody else does. Jeff, you don't have any more potential of changing than anybody else does. It's your actions That's, every if, day. If, if I thought the I life you couldn't live. make change or couldn't bring change or couldn't bring a different perspective, I wouldn't be doing any of this, right? Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like if, if you don't take action, if you don't do something about it, if you're just going to sit there and complain yeah. about it, for God's sakes, get off the bus, man. Right. And I, I, it bothers me because I think in some ways we've got that victim mentality. And, and look, me and you have had some really you know, tough I, conversations I, about this. Yeah. You take right? Because I, I, 
I I really looked up, like I looked up to you. Well, we were in yeah. that group, the Treehouse, right? Remember that? And and it started in AT, and I think it was Michael Costa started the yeah. group or something like that. I can't remember who it was. And so there was like some weird stuff going yeah. on there, and we became friends in the Treehouse. And so I looked up to you, and I thought well, you always talked about all these ways technicians were treated. And so I really tried to build mm-hmm. a business that didn't treat technicians that way. But I remember at one point I had to come to you, and I guess that was right before ASTE last year, maybe. But I had to come to you yeah. and say, like, dude, you yeah. gotta, you got to seek first to understand here. I, I don't think, I don't think you're seeing it for what it really is. And that's because you're my friend and I care about you and you would listen to me. But how many of these people don't have somebody, A, that's willing to stand well, up and say that to them, right? And then B, it's, how many people would listen Because it did? breaks my heart when you and I are not on, you know, it's it's like when you say, no, no, you don't get to have an attitude or you start to talk to me like I'm one of your kids. It, it breaks my heart because it's, you know, our relationship is something that I value probably put ahead of of so many other people's, right? It's not even fun. So when, when Black we're not on the same, like, it's like, I tease you. Like I can't, I can't come to you in the morning because you're not a morning person. Right? You, I can't come to you in the morning because you're short, you're short fuse in the morning. If it hadn't been for so much, so much respect for what I see, what you're trying to do and why you can come to me and say, no, you've got to think about it from this angle. Anyone else I would tell the fuck right off. Right. Is it, you're the only one, Brian and I were right. just talking about this. Yeah. You're the only one, David, as well, that that can hold me to task on what I feel about the industry or what I feel about what needs to change or what is good or what is bad or what's not fair. Um, because everyone else, they don't have the respect. I don't have the respect for them that I have for you. Do you understand what I mean? Right? So you can... You can of yeah, course. And, you can, and I'm honored by that. More, more than you know, and and here's the thing is that like, I, I have watched this right because mm-hmm. I'm I'm the one editing your show, and I've watched. Oh, it's like your mindset expand, right? Like you you've developed into a different human being over the last six months because like you're hearing these stories and you're seeing these different perspectives yeah. and you're hearing what these people are going through, and I you know like I remember listening. Yeah. I think it was the Justin Porter episode, right? And I'm listening to the Justin Porter episode and I'm hearing you when you're responding to Justin, because I'm hearing you say like the, the experiences I know me Mm -hmm. and you have talked about that you've been through. And then you hear Jordan, uh, uh, Justin sharing like where he had been from. And it didn't even seem like Mm -hmm. anything was a struggle about that. He just jumped in and did it. And it was just a thing. Right. And I hear you throughout that episode, change your mindset and your perspective. Mm -hmm based on what he's saying, right? And and it's the same thing with our podcast, right? Because like I, David and I, we, we, we won't say the name, but there was an episode a while back where we were talking to somebody that were very successful. And David and I went out to the car after the episode and we're going to get some lunch. And, and like we had a heart to heart over, like there, there's a, a certain set of rules that we both kind of try and follow and we're pretty much in alignment. Like, these are important things yeah. to us about how we run our business. And I'll never forget David saying like, man, are, are we like sacrificing success for our family and all these other things to like live by this? Should we just no, give that, it all up? And like, that's an interesting, you remember conversation, that conversation, David? For sure. Yeah. That's an interesting one. 
No, I don't. I don't value our <laughs> relationship like that. They're all, David, they're all throwaway. David says that Lucas he's talking to me, not to you. <laughs> no, he's talking to me. But talking I also know that it's, <laughs> it's completely BS at that point. Um, well, but I, I mean, like you know, and and that's the thing is is that I think that in life, all right, we go through life, and and there there come these like it's not even a fork in a road. It's like you get a mile down the road and and you look in the rearview mirror and you say, I don't know if I took the right path, right? And, and you know, it's just like building this new shop. There are days that I come in here and I'm well, like, you said that I may have me. effed up. Yeah. I, this you may have been the, worst. yeah, this may have been the worst mistake I've ever made in my life. I mean, I took all of my, my retirement. I took all of my kids' college fund. I took every dime of mm. money and put it into this. Right. And I, there are days that I think I effed up and there's days that I'm like, holy yeah. cow, we're going to make this work. Right. And I think that's the human element because we're, you know, we're always on this roller coaster of life. And, and, you know, we talk a little bit, you know, me and you were talking about Brian the other day and talking about the fact that Brian very much gets on that roller coaster of life and it can be very up and down and it can be hard for him to, to find his place in that. And I, you know, I just, I hope that, that so many of these people that are like in the group that you see going through that stuff and they share their challenges and they share their frustrations. I hope they've got somebody to talk to, right? Like if it wasn't for you and David well, being willing to listen to me, bitch, that's Lucas like, like growling, the other night when you said to me, you said, uh, you know? it couldn't like, we couldn't use Jonathan's cause the audio is terrible. And you were like, it's fucked up. And you know, we right. wasted $40 in credits and all this kind of stuff. Like I was being genuine. And, and when I sincerely said to you, but when you feel what I feel at talking to them, how just having that conversation, I had it with Cody last night, yeah. right? How it unbur- unburdens them. Dude, I don't care if anybody ever hears that yeah, conversation, right? Or if it ever makes me a nickel. Do you understand what I mean? It's, it's, and you, you say, of course, like, well, yeah, Jeff, course, you wasted 100%. two hours. But these people feel so much better, Lucas, when they talk to me. Like my phone blows up now. It's with people that are contacting me going, oh my God, this podcast is like, yeah. it, it says something. This is not me bragging, right? This is just the reality that people are constantly reaching out to me going with yeah, what this course, podcast is course. doing. It's, and it makes me feel because I feel like I spent so many years just bitching and complaining and whining. Now, there was some positives that came out of yeah. that in the sense that we had a united group of people that actually started a conversation that is still f- open. It's still an open conversation, right? But I feel like yeah, now with me being able to go in one-on-one with these people, some of them I know, some of them don't, and I'm hearing their stories and I'm seeing that weight come off of them when they tell, right? <sighs> to me, it's not wasted yeah. at all. I am so, when I get done just talking to these people, I can't go to sleep. I'm so hyped up. I'm so wired. I'm so yeah. like... And I, because I don't go to church, right? I haven't been to church in ten years, probably. I feel like that feeling that I used to get, though. You know what I mean? When we come out of there, like, like, like yeah. unburdened, like everything that had gone throughout the week. When I walked out of the church on Sunday morning, after I felt unburdened, I felt like the next week was going to be better. That's having those conversations. Well, you know, I remember. Yeah. Of course. And and that that's the thing is that that there are conversations that need to be had, there are discussions that need to be had, 
And it, in some sense of the word, mm-hmm. it's a safe place to have those conversations. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, we've done this on our show many times, but, but you start talking and it, it becomes a real conversation about oh, yeah. life. And, and I think it's important to talk and, and share about life. And, and, you know, you talk about being unburdened. I, I'll never forget the look on your face. Like I, I, one of the episodes that I hate, we missed the video from like there were occasionally like mm-hmm. when we're recording, you'll lose a video file and and we very rarely lose an audio file, but occasionally you lose a video file. But one of the, the ones that I really hate that we lost was yeah. at the end of ASTE last yeah. year when me and you sat down and we're, we were mm-hmm. recording in that room back in the back and, and we're just sitting down talking and it, I watching you have the realization that like, a, it's not just our industry that's up against these tr- these struggles and these challenges and these frustrations, but B, that so much of this, A, it's perception, but but there is a whole group of people in this industry yeah. that are doing something about it, right? That they're, they're trying to change it, that they don't want people to be jaded, that they really want to take care of their people who work in the business. I, 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 I shouldn't share what I'm going to. We, we were at a training event a while back and um, somebody that I know and personally care very much about owns a shop. And in this training event, um, they had an employee there and um, they were going to be critiqued on some of their performance. And when they realized they were going to be critiqued on their performance, they started saying really nasty right. things about the shop owner, right? Yeah. Like they were, it was terrible. And they were saying nasty things about the shop and they were given all of these reasons. And, and, you know, there's this concept of framing, right? You know what I'm mm-hmm. talking about when I say framing? Like when you, it, sometimes it's for us up here mentally for ourselves. And sometimes it's, it's, we're trying to position ourselves in a certain way in front of a group of people or a certain person. But we begin to say, and do things that right. paint the picture yeah. that we want to paint, right? And it, it may be true, it may be untrue, but you can usually pick out mm-hmm. somebody out of a crowd who's trying to frame, right? They're trying to say it a certain way. They're trying to go ahead and put things out in front before something happens and, and go ahead and explain away what's getting ready to happen, if that makes sense. And so I could tell from the conversation that she was framing or they were framing. And we get through this conversation and the call was pretty tough to listen to. And some of the feedback was, was pretty rough about the call. And I just think in so many ways, we've had all of these discussions about how bad techs are treated. And these guys are coming into these groups, sharing their experiences. You've, you've got these owners who are sharing their perspective about techs and, and talking all this mm-hmm. crap about this one tech that did this one thing. And, and you got them coming into these groups and sharing their experiences. There's not been, in, in social media, there's not a way to verify right. what somebody's yeah. telling is the truth. Right? And, and so I watched this story unfold directly in front of my eyes. And, I, and dude, I'm telling you, I know it's a lie. Right? Like, it's absolutely a lie. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And I'm thinking about all of the social media and all the groups and all the things that are said and how ramped up in some ways we've gotten 
And I'm thinking about how easy it would be for somebody to come into one of these groups and say all right. of these things and none of it be true. Yeah. Right. And so I, I, that's my, my message has always been to you. Well, like seek first to understand and ask that. questions. Don't just automatically like jump to a conclusion. To ask questions. 10 times a day, every day now it's stuck in my head. And that's, that's what, cause right. we'll talk about young Colin, right? There's, there's a guy that I'm still on the fence about what yep. he really is. You know what I mean? Uh, I think he's got talent. I think he's mm-hmm. skilled. Um, you know, and when somebody said to me, I don't know if you saw the threat or not, the kid, well, he has no passion, right? For him to move around that much and, and quit this place and that place and he has no passion. That's yeah. the most asinine statement I think I've seen in regards to that young man, that he has no passion. To think that why he, what he's doing, going out and speaking about how he feels, that takes passion. Right. It takes conviction. It takes, it takes, of course, you're, you're of putting course. yourself out there. You're bearing your soul about what's frustrating you, what hurts your feelings about what you do for a job. Right now, at the same time, it's really hard for me to wrap my head around some of these people when they go like I made six figures and I still am pissed right off. Like I, I'm, I'll, I'm not making six figures. Yeah. Right? And I know like you and I have talked about, I know shop owners that don't pay themselves as much as I get paid. So I know for shit they ain't making six figures. Yeah, of course. But yeah, he's still all fed up with the the industry and wants out. But then I remember that it doesn't really matter. Lots of days I had days where the day before I made fifteen hours, and then they came in and I was only going to make four. Yeah. And they did something to me that I didn't like, and it made me feel like this, like disrespected and not important and undervalued. All those analogies. I wasn't doing the math to go in a positive mindset and go, well, it still balances out, right? Like 16 and four is still, yeah, that's fucking 10. That's a great average. Yeah. I was so focused on the, the only making four and whatever it was they did to me. And I think he's of in course. that same spot I, right now. You know, dude, I, I, I take, I take it yeah. back to my dad when I was little, right? Like I, I was, my dad always wanted me to do the, the like, menial frustrating task god i look back at it i'm like man i should have kept my mouth shut you know what i'm saying like i was making really good money i was being really well taken care of but he he was teaching me like when when he was building houses he was teaching me that that Mm -hmm. the cleanliness of the job site and the way it looks and the way you present it and and listen son it'll be a lot easier if you do it now before it's all piled up everywhere you're going to be more pissed off about spending four hours loading up a pile of scrap wood than you are mm-hmm. spending an hour a day loading up a pile of scrap wood, right? And and so I, I didn't realize that he was teaching mm-hmm. me life lessons in that. I realize that now. I realize that there was value in that, and I, I see it in the shop every single day when I go back here. I was blessed mm-hmm. to have an awesome dad who was doing that for me, right? But, you know, I, I think about that from time to time, and I, I think back like, it's how we frame it in our own minds. It's the perspective that we give ourselves. It's it's how we look at things. And if you if you continually look at everything like it's oh, terrible, everything will always be terrible. Is- right? And if you look at things in a positive light and you say, look, you know, this is not awesome, but I'm going to make the best of it. Then, then what does it mean for you? It means yeah. at least you can be happy while it's happening. Right? Because we're talking about the challenge. We're talking about the strife. We're talking about the tyranny of life. Yeah. For God's sakes, it's not going away. It's always going to be there. And it doesn't matter if it's in this career. You know, we just did an interview with the, the Chamber of Commerce, and and he's like, I, I kind of asked the question, like, 
you're talking about construction. Mm-hmm. Are they having trouble getting help? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They can't get help either. Yeah. What about electricians? Yeah, they can't get help either. All right? And they've faced the same plight that we have. Well, they didn't treat them right, and we didn't want to train the next generation, and we didn't, you know, all these things that we didn't do right. Well, for God's sakes, we mm-hmm. know we didn't do them right. Let's do something different now, right? Let's let's take a different step. Let's go a different direction. And and you know, I, I was listening to something. I was listening mm-hmm. to that that Colin episode, right? And I will never forget. So I was going back and I was like pulling little sections out and adjusting stuff here and there. And he said, um. I don't think it's right when the book calls for one that they're marking it yeah. up and they're charging them like one and a half or two. Yeah. I don't think that's right for the client. And I, all I could think to myself was, dude, you don't, you, you, you've created a basis yeah. of what you believe is wrong. Like you, you have created this, this set of guides. You've put this ruler up on right and wrong, but you didn't understand why they were doing what they were doing. Right, you didn't ask the, the question the of why. Are you some doing of the things that? he said as an example of that, and then to next to say that I was only getting three tenths more on a job to to do something, and I'm I'm listening to him do the interview, and I'm sitting here thinking, okay, but dude, you, you're contradicting yourself. It doesn't make sense because like you're saying that they shouldn't be able to mark it up to one point five. Now I don't know if in the context it was like they're marking up to one point five, but they're only paying him one. But I didn't get that feeling. I think what he was feeling was. Like, the book time was right, supposed I to be an hour. Either. They marked it up to 1.5. He got 1.5. He probably knocked it out in 0.3, like 0.5, and felt that the customers ripped off. But in the next breath, he's yeah. talking about he doesn't make up any time. You have never heard me in any of my time that I've we've talked about anything felt that I felt bad that the customer got charged above and beyond whatever the book said. You've never heard me complain about that because I've always looked at it as like I've given so much for free. I believe in karma. That's just it coming back around to me. Well, I mean, here's the thing. It's like there's a balance in business, right? And the business is supposed to be there to be profitable. And I I don't look at a labor guide like it's a, like this is a Bible and this is what we have to charge. I look at it and say, you know, if if it was a perfect world, my guy's going to work 40 hours this week. This is a a way for me to look at it and say, Mm -hmm. here's a guideline that I can follow and a rough yeah. guess of how long it should take him. You know what I want to do? I want to bill my At guy 40 for, hours a yeah. week, every single week. Yeah. Right. Right. I, I don't, you know, I know we mm-hmm. build pay plans for over 40. I, I think we should normalize a 40 hour work week. I think we should normalize a 40 hour work week. I think we should normalize it in such a way that you can earn a living in 40 hours. But to do that, what do you have to do? Well, you have to right. charge appropriately and you have to bill appropriately. Now I, I know in some states you can't do it. I don't necessarily believe that talking about labor hours and part dollars to a client is is responsible. I don't think it's any of their business. Mr. Client, yeah. what I'm providing for you is a repaired yeah. car. Now, Dutch absolutely Let's hates that. The hours. He hates that. But I'm going to tell you Comfort something. They give a flip about right, the, how many hours not, the job is supposed it, to take. They want the price of that they repair. Want the car That's it. They don't care because the hours to them doesn't mean anything because yes. they think that yes. either the two scenarios are we do it much faster than they could possibly do, so it's just a fictitious number, or they always do it in less time than what they're charging me for anyway, and they don't care. They just want to know the alternator is $799, and can I pick it up at 5 o'clock? That's all they But, But instead, what what have we done? What have we done? Instead of creating an environment where that's always the case, we've created an environment where we basically tell them to scrutinize what we do. 
right? We've created an environment where they come back and they say, well, but you know, it has this many hours on Mm -hmm. it, but it was only at the shop for this long, right? We've created that environment. Now, look, and, and, and the thing of it is, is if we, if we would normalize that we are professionals and we should be paid as professionals and auto repair Mm -hmm. is not supposed to be cheap. And if we repair cars correctly and you take your car to a true professional that knows what they're doing Sorry. and spending their mic around in circles uh, and oh, you're fine. And, and so you take it and you, you, you truly genuinely build an industry that has value. Well, no. then it's not a conversation anymore, right? I'm, I, I want my car properly repaired. I want it to be reliable. I want to have a warranty. So I know this is what it takes to accomplish that. Great. Yet, when we talk to technicians, one of the common things we always see, well, the, the reason I'm not getting as much work is because they're charging too much up front. Well, we should get 50% of the door rate. How many times have yeah, I had to explain I, that the math doesn't work? Right? Yeah, I mean, 40, maybe? But the, the, the reality is, is that, that there are percentages that come out of that, that that the tech doesn't see. There has to be a specific formula for how the tech's paid because that's how we make our business sustainable. That's how we do it consistently, right? If you want to be paid more, we need to raise rates across the board. The shop needs to be more profitable. Now, look, I get it. I'm I'm not talking chain stores, right? Chain stores will absolutely siphon every single dime and every single dollar out of everybody they can because all they care about is the boat. And I shouldn't say just chain stores, right? But I I mean, like you look at a you look at a national chain and and you watch what they do and how they do it. It has no. nothing to do with no. fixing cars, no. right? Nothing to do with fixing cars. What is it about? It is solely about putting yeah. percentages on the P&L well, for the shareholders. That tire store in Boone. That's that all it's about. By, right? And they roll in, what are they, seven days a week or six days a week? Yeah. Seven, eight, seven, seven days a week, seven, uh, 12 hours a day, every single week, baby. Yeah. Right. Every single week. Yeah. And, and so to them, it's not about the people to them. It's not about the car to it's them. It's not about the how many, about how the many dollar. units did we move last yeah. month versus last month of the same month of the last year versus the last five versus the last 10 and, and, and a trend, right? That's all it's about. It's just a game. I, I talked to a, a principal at a car dealership one time and he had sold his dealership out to a, to a, big corporation. And I asked him, I said, man, I said, they are doing some really skeezy things. As a matter of fact, I bought a car from them. And long story short, when I bought that car from them, what had happened was, is I went in to buy the car and I said, I have a check. I have cash money to pay for the car. I yeah. financed it through my bank because I got a killer rate. And he comes in and he says, Oh, well, I thought you wanted to finance it through us. I can't give you that price unless you finance it through us. And I said, no, we already made a deal. We've already got the paperwork. We've got everything done. And he said, well, couldn't you just sign the financing thing? I won't put it through, but I'll get more commission if you do that. And I said, no, man, I'm not doing that. Right. And he said, okay, well, let me, let me see what I can work out. Okay. This dude goes in the back. I'm there for three hours. And he comes back and he's like, well, what we've done is we've gone ahead and processed the financing. I never signed the paper. We've gone ahead and processed the financing. And and you just take this check and you pay off the financing. Now, wait a minute. Yeah. A, how did you get financing in my name? Yeah. B, that's not right. 
You know what I'm saying? Like that, that's wrong. And so I was talking to the dealer principal that had been bought out by this organization. And he said, I'm going to tell you something. He said, they are not a dealership. No. They, they, they don't sell cars. I said, mm, they don't sell cars. And he's like, no, listen, that's not what they're in the business of doing. He said, the, the cars are just, are just the tool, the vehicle that they need to create yeah. profit. He said, they're a finance company. I said, what do you mean? He said, they work with Chase and they work with City and they work with all of these banks and they get a cut of each of the financing programs and then they put their interest rate on top of it. And so they're getting a take on the financing. And he said, so when they do that, he said, this entire organization Mm -hmm. is set up on financing cars. And he said, do you know what equity mining is? I'm like, what is equity mining? And he said, well, he said, it means that if a car comes to your shop, they're paying someone to get the information from the car. And if it looks like it's going to be a big repair at your shop and they can get that information, or if it looks like it's an older car and it's something that they could potentially trade on, they are going to contact that client and tell them to come over here to the dealership and we'll make you a deal you can't refuse. They do the same yep. thing when the car's oh, in the yeah. dealership. You've seen them do it. You work for a dealer, yep. right? The whole purpose was to turn cars. And he said, all of that is is built yep. on the premise of making money on financing. And, and so, you know, these organizations like that, dude, they're not about, they are absolutely not about the technician. They're not about the service advisor. They're not about the client no. and they're not about the car. And so I, I hope that if anything through the change in the industry group and through the jaded mechanic and through all of the efforts that we've put together, ASTE, the stuff ASTA is doing, the stuff that uh, Mwaka is doing, the stuff that all of these organizations are putting together and putting on paper is that the independent auto repair industry is not that are there bad shops out there? Yes. But the majority of them are bad shops because they learned how to run a business from someone like that. They saw how technicians were treated and thought that's just how they ought to be treated. You heard me reference it more than once with some of the coaching tactics that are being done. To me, it's old news. It's, it's an old song and dance because it's exact same stuff that we watched if you worked in a dealer 15 years ago was exactly what they were taught to do right down to the the T. You know, I don't have to read some of the coaching people that we don't necessarily align with. And we know the names we're talking about to know that I could probably sit back and read the book and I would put it down at a boredom because it's familiar read. You know, I know exactly how they want to treat the customer, how they want to treat their people. It it doesn't change. It comes, it comes from the new car dealership method is now, I think, is what's trickling into our industry, and it scares yeah. the bejesus out of me. Because if I see that, I can tell you right now, they're not playing long ball. They're playing very shorthanded game, and it will not last. And yeah, we got talking earlier tonight about how what's got me scared is the absentee owner trend that seems to be coming up and the idea that you work on the business, on in the business, and... I can see both sides of that argument, but makes it really, I think is scary is if we think we've got a problem now with trying to get technicians, when you try to look at a young guy like Colin, for instance, I think half of his battle is the fact that most of the people, like he said, when he is, he's working for, they're not, they're not techs. They've never been. So he takes it as a real personal mark when they tell him how long it should take to do a job, or I would have done that faster or something like that. Brian and I talk about this all the time. I have a really hard time now working with somebody that's never been a tech, right? Working for them, judging me on, or telling me I would have done it this way or why was it done? Even questioning me because I just feel like 
yeah. who are you to say, you know, whereas if somebody has been a tech, I can sit down and take the criticism, take the input. I may not like it, but I can, I can utilize it. I can use it. It doesn't, I don't blow my top over it. Right. And that's something that I think is scaring me right. when I see the trend right. of more and more owners that are not going to be involved or more and more owners that maybe even never put a wrench to a car. Right. As this, maybe this industry starts to turn around and becomes lucrative and people start to get into it again. I don't necessarily see the next generation but, of techs being all on board with working for people like that. Well, so, so here, here's, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll counter that a little bit. Okay. So a, the way that, that we get techs paid what they need to be paid is the I owner agree. needs to be working yeah. on the business, not in the business. Okay. And, and the reason for that is, is because if the owner is working on the business, they have a better perspective. Remember that thread from a couple days ago? Yeah. Dude was Oof. talking about the transmission shop in Kentucky. And he, he was saying like, man, I, I can't pay my bills. All this stuff's going on. And what was my response? Dude, you're, you're too ingrained in it. You're too, you're too emotional. You're oh, in it right now. That, you're in the shop. You're half of those customers are probably in, in the there. Business. He probably knows them on a first name, gives them a hug or a handshake or whatever. Knows them from the car club and they're Absolutely. coming in there with all this disposable and, income and then they're nickel and diamond him to death because like they don't feel that. Yeah. The door rate. They have a relationship. What it is. And, and so, and, and, and so if he had been working on the business, if he had a higher yeah. perspective that he could look at it, right? Like you, I, I mm. love my team and you know that. But there have been situations where Eric and I have had to have some hard discussions and Terry and I have had to have some hard discussions and I've had to call David and been like, hey, how should I handle this? Like, I don't know what to do. And and we've had to deal with some things. And and I'm telling you, if I had been any closer to my team than what I am, mm -hmm. I don't think I would have seen it. I don't think I would have been able to intervene. I don't think I think it would have led to a situation where it would have turned into one of them being jaded and frustrated. Because yeah. Lucas didn't come and talk to me and, and he doesn't understand what I'm going through and he's just frustrated at me and I'm just frustrated at him yeah. and it turns into a situation, right? Whereas if I'm at 30,000 feet and I'm looking at the business and I'm seeing, I've got this one technician, man, his production's a little bit off and everybody's getting a little frustrated and getting a little aggravated. Yeah. I need to go have a talk. I need to go deal with this. What is going on? Why do you feel the way you feel? And nip it in the bud. But if I'm not watching production, and I'm not paying attention to what the business is doing and I'm not maximizing my numbers to where, okay, like guys, Hey, by the way, just so you know, I know nobody's asked for a raise, but we're coming up. We've raised the labor rates. We're making this adjustment and you're getting this. Yes. Like, that's how you do it. Right. That That's how you make sure they get a yearly raise is you're managing and running the business like a business owner. Now, now absentee owner. I've got some feelings on that. I, I think completely absentee can be dangerous because mm -hmm. you don't realize what's happening in the shop. And you can you can develop a culture that you don't realize that you've developed. And then by the time you go into it, it's so confusing because you don't know who the problem child is. You don't know if it is a problem child. You don't know if it's just the, the culture of the business. Is it the way we run things? Is it the way we do things? I can see how that would be a problem. But then you look at Mike Allen. You have a who has run a team in place, Lucas Lincoln. What are you talking about? The managers to handle all that and well, you get a report from them. Okay. You come to them and say, Hey, but this line is not right. This and these numbers aren't right. You're not hitting this. You're not hitting that. 
then it's either a staffing issue or you've got a management problem and you either get rid of the manager, you get rid of the staff or whatever. That, that's my yeah. point, though, is that's where I was going with that, is that you look at a Mike Allen and Mike has built that perfectly. Where, where do I fall in that? So when know. you talk, though, here's where I'm going to interject a little bit, and I'm not trying to argue with David, but you've got to remember sometimes in my traditional experience, what I've seen is the manager tends to be somebody that with a lot of years of seniority. And it became a situation where they were put in that position, maybe whether they were qualified or not, to um, keep them within the business instead of paying them out severance, right? They maybe got too old. To, to, to continue to be a foreman or attack and they made him a manager. That's a very real situation. For me, as the experience that I've had in the dealership, that tends to be the trend that it goes. So what happens oftentimes is you'll see a lot of techs or even some advisors, just like uh, Chris Craig's episode that just dropped, um, that get sacrificed at the altar of management because management was there when the building was put up. And management, to get rid of them, the severance would be in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. So you might have heard me talk about it. Well, I had a service manager that had been, when I worked at Orleans Dodge Chrysler, he'd been in the business for 20 some years at that particular store. He was not well liked. He was probably not what most would consider to be a good manager. He had made his way from being a tech to foreman to manager. When they finally terminated. Okay, Jeff, but was that guy producing the numbers that, his owners, the owners. Uh, were we, our service department was the only thing that was keeping the lights on because the sales department couldn't couldn't move cars, David. So he was by, and that service department was being ran by that guy that nobody well, liked. They didn't like him from his abrasive. He was a very abrasive, abrupt. Um, he might have been bipolar. Uh, he would bring a lot of his home life to work with him, and it would be you could you could feel the tension in the building, David, when he walked in. You knew what his mood was before you ever laid eyes on him. You could, it was literally like he had that aura when he walked in. You could feel the energy shift in the building. Yeah. He, when they finally terminated. All, the place was making money though, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. And had. So when you're an absentee see, owner, like that's, I mean, that's your, you, you can say, well, that, that guy was a bad manager. Okay. By what, um, by what metric? Because oh, feels listen, doesn't pay the bills. And so you the numbers are coming right. in and they're healthy. The assumption has to be, because you're not there every day. So the assumption has to be, well, the manager in place is doing what they're supposed to be doing. And yeah, I mean, I, I can, I totally understand what you're saying, Jeff. I 100% get what you're saying. But at the end of the day, for the, for the people that are paying the bills, for the people that have invested tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars into this business, mm-hmm. they need to see a return. And if this guy, as an a-hole, is not is bringing in a return, then how you feel about I, him is irrelevant to that owner because yeah. they're bringing in money, and that's all that matters. And look, you can you can say that well, this this is a shift that's happening in the independent in the independent world. I think the only reason why that's, that's happening at all is because enough business owners are now realizing that, Hey, I don't want to have a job. Right. I want to own a business because why would I take the risk of, of business ownership and also the BS of having a job? Why would I do both? 
Like either want to have a job and I have a paycheck and if they fire me, I just find another job and that's great. And I, you know, I do W2 EZ. I know you don't have that in Canada, but here like for a normal salaried employee or hourly employee to file your taxes is like three mm-hmm. clicks on a smartphone and you're done. You take a picture of your W-2 or half the time it's uploaded automatically. You hit a couple buttons, you sign, and you get your return. And then that's it. And everybody's been conditioned to that's to that methodology of filing your taxes. And, that, and they expect that little bonus at the end of the year, that $1,000, $1,500, $3,000, $5,000. If you got a couple kids, it turns into $10,000 plus even if you have enough children. Everybody's okay. been conditioned to that. I don't get that because I'm a business owner. I can't do that as a business owner, right? I've taken on the risk of audits. I've taken on the risk of having to pay all these taxes out. I've taken on the regulatory risk, the, the safety and, and environmental hazard, uh, compliance risk. And then on top of that, I also have to do the job too. No, I'm not doing that. Screw that. I'm gonna blow my brains out. If I have to do that enough, Owners have seen that. They've seen the light and go, you know what? I'm not doing that either. Screw that noise. What I'm going to do is not be at work every day. What I'm going to do is if, hey, uh, let's take a vacation next week Uh and then just go on vacation and not have to worry about the business because the business is going to run because I've got the right people in place. And the fact that somebody doesn't like the, the, the manager that I put in place is the numbers coming, are the numbers coming in correct? Yes, I don't care that you don't like the guy. You don't like the guy, quit. Quit and go find somewhere else to work because that guy is a good enough manager to know that you don't want to be there and they need to go and they're going to find somebody else. And I don't have to worry about any of it. Now, that might seem callous or that might it, seem it like, well, you don't want to go that direction. When you look at the idea when you just said about how they're just going to find another one, reach and replace another one. I think that the very stark reality that we see daily posted is that that is the obstacle. We see text, we see owners and David, I love you. I'm not trying to argue with you, but we see owners every day that are saying they're struggling to find a replacement. We're talking about the, the, the those are not the, the shops that we're talking about though, Jeff, this, you, you have to, you have to, like, you have to see this. If, if you're, what you're saying is true, every chain that I see around me should be closing up or struggling, struggling to find people. And they're not, they're flipping, expanding the, the franchises are selling left and right. They're, they're selling to somebody who sells them that model that just run them ragged, pump out as many cars. You're working seven days a week. We're going to be open all these hours. We're going to run 1999 oil changes. This is the model. This is the way. They are making money hand over fist, and people are showing up in droves to work there. I don't know why. It seems insane to me. In my mind, what what I advocate for, what Lucas advocates for, uh, what we see some of our, in our very teeny tiny, infinitesimally small group of shop owners what they advocate for the, we need to take care of our employees. We need to yeah. make sure everybody's whole. We need to make sure that our customers are taken care of. We need to make sure that, that we're at least charging enough to be, make this sustainable. That doesn't scale at all. That doesn't scale 
in any way, shape, or form. The minute you expand to a second location, third location, fourth location, that gets thrown out the window. You need something that is measurable, that is repeatable, and can be done over and over and over again. I was talking to a shop owner who is on, who was at one point was going to close the doors, was struggling immensely, got yeah. hooked up with that model. And he does a ton of charity work. You know, the, the guy has a giving heart. He pumps out the charity work like crazy. Mm-hmm. He's on his fourth location. Even he, three million, four million, five, six million dollars a year business that he's built from, from having a single location to this. How did he build that? He followed the model. Yep. Now you can yep. say anything that, that that guy understood that what I'm doing now and, and you can look at what I do on a daily basis that what I do, it cannot be scaled. And he wanted to build that, that level of business. And so you have to somehow convince everybody that has opened up a business that, Hey, uh, you're not going to be able to scale this if you want to quote unquote, do it the right way. And, and it, here, here's, here's what sucks about it is because. A lot of those people, right, and and we've had some of them in the group, and there's been some discussions. They say, "Well, it couldn't be wrong because we're making money," but but profit is not. <laughs> that doesn't make it right, right? You, we're putting the wrong. You you were just talking about that with that technician who said you can't charge that customer one point five if the book says one. Mm-hmm. Yep. You can't say that he's doing it the wrong way because he's making money and that's his measuring stick. Yep. That may not I'm, be your measuring stick, but that's that right. guy's measuring stick. And Absolutely. He sees, and, and we can't say you're exactly right. We can't say it's wrong. Uh, and I'm not going to say from it's wrong. My, it, 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 it's, Dutch has said it many times. It's an extremely profitable way to do business. There's zero doubt about that. The the thing that the thing that concerns me or the thing that challenges me with that is that I, I have yet to long, find an alternative, dear. There's no the long term consequence is what we live in right now. That is the long term situation. Yeah, a technician shortage. People who are jaded and frustrated and, with the industry. And uh, yeah, but they're going to come back and say, "Who cares?" There's already there's always like going to be somebody else waiting to take their place and yeah you could say technician shortage i say there is no technician shortage i say there's an overabundance of garbage shops yes that are willing yep. to do work on that. people's cars okay so they're looking at it the same way and they're saying well those those shops will just go away more cars for me and those employees that one or two technicians working in that shop and the one or two technicians working at the other shop they're going to be looking for work even if 75% of those four techs leave the industry, I don't care. The one that doesn't is going to come work here because I'm the only place in town. Yeah. So and, we're, and if, we're trying to appeal to them with our set of standards, our set of ethics, our set of morals. They don't care. They're making money. And and to them, we're wrong, right? To them, ta- we're, no, we're foolish. We're, exactly. Because... You know, we're not over here making the money that we could make, and we're not over here doing the things that we could do. You you think Jay Ha is listening to this while no, he's flying sure. his airplane? No, he's he's on a cruise, and when he gets off the cruise, I'm he jumps so in his airplane and goes flies around. Do you think he gives two flips? He doesn't care. 
He's going to go buy another plane. And what are we doing? Arguing about how wrong it is that he charges $19.99 for his oil changes. <laughs> do you see the absurdity in it? Of course I do. Of course I do. I'm, and that's I'm why it's so, so damn frustrating. I, I don't even know where you two are now. Did you I, tune out? I, did, did I go in too many different directions, Lucas? No. Okay, I, it so made perfect I, sense I'm, to me. Okay, well, ask the question. Let, let's dig in. Let's dig in and figure out why. Well, with all due respect, you're, I think you're, you're used to that, David, how many directions he can go at once, and I'm not as used to it, and that's why I got lost. It's, I tried to. I didn't tune out, David. I just, it went so many different directions at one time. It seemed like. I wasn't so trying like, to be insulting. I, I, I generally want to know because I guarantee you we're going to get a comment of in in the Facebook group or whatever. Like I lost David an hour and 10 minutes into that podcast. I did, I didn't, what the hell I he was didn't, talking I about. I didn't mean take any kind of offense. I just, I, I, I got lost. I got lost. I'll have to go back and listen to it. Okay. So, so basically what David is saying is, is that there are organizations mm-hmm. who run their businesses differently. And Dutch has said this many times that that model is extremely profitable, right? And, and as he pointed out, they will always have technicians. They, there will always be people in those bays working for those shops. They will always be making money, you know, and, and it's a shame. We see so many techs say, well, squeeze them out and, 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 you know, don't go to work for them for this. And, and while that could be a solution, the reality is it's never going to happen. Right. They'll always have somebody. And, and the, the sad part is, is all that's going to end up doing is it's going to mean that those shops only have uh, unqualified dummies working for them. Not necessarily. And, you know, the most I think the most I'm insidious. Saying if, the, if the smart techs starve them out, they will hire somebody who doesn't have. And yes. And the, the customer is not going to know the difference. And what's most insidious, the most insidious part of it is these large dealership groups going to the schools. We want fresh meat. So here is a. And spit them out. Bro. Yeah. Here's they a $10 million dollar endowment that you guys get to have for your Votech program. I just right. need first that's- dibs. That's it. Oh, the quote unquote opportunity for, to work at yeah. this dealership. And they just want fresh meat. And so they just have to sell enough kids on the idea that they're going to make all this money as a technician to enter the school, this beautiful building, this beautiful facility with all brand new equipment, right? Sell them on the idea that that's what, how they're going to go work on. And I've got my little drudgy shop. That's uh, it's well lit, but you know, the floor is dirty or whatever. And there's crap piled up everywhere. And, I'm not going to sell them on that, but they walk into that dealership that gave that $10 million endowment and they're going to look at all that brand new equipment, all this lighting, man, that looks so nice. That's where I'm going to go work. And what do they do? They chew them up. They spit them out three years later. They're out of the industry. Do you think the dealership cares? They don't care. Why? They right. just keep pumping money into the schools and the schools the, keep the sending them fresh The measure of success meat. is simply right. the dollar bill for them. That's all that matters. Right. To them, that, that, that's okay. really what David's getting at in all of this is that the only measure of success that they depend on, the only measure of success that they look at is the dollar bill. Was I profitable? Right? And and so that that's Nothing why when, matters. Well, that's why when we talk to those other guys who believe something different than we do, they're like, how can you not like want to come and go to one of these events and see what we do? Because it's really, you know, if you'll just come, you'll see how much money you can make. Dude, it's, it's not about the money. You don't understand. It's not and about the money. And you'll feel great doing it. Right. You'll and, get and, all and, the feels. 
dude, I, I, if you knew how many technicians I've talked to who work for those shops and they're like, dude, it's mm-hmm. miserable here. It sucks. But I care more about the people who work for me than that. I don't want it to be that. I, I talked to somebody at one of those and the very first thing they ever said to me was, is go back and fire all your employees, right? Like, yeah, but these are human beings. Well, I don't care. You're, you're not running a, a family. This is a business. And, and that's not wrong, right? Like, I'm not going to say that's wrong. It, it's, it's not even necessarily unsound advice. It's that that's not who I am, right? Like, I, I've told you stories about my dad and you got to meet my dad and my mom and you see how they run their business and the people they brought down here. That they help with their business that they bring down here just to come down here and eat, right? And they take care of them. They treat them genuinely like their family, right? Like that's who I am as a human being. That's what I do. Yet those people are going to look at us and look at us like we're crazy. See, here's the th- here's the thing, and and I admire like what your parents did and the stories that you tell about your parents. It, it uh, they're they're fascinating to me. And what what is most interesting is that they they were able to be that way and still generate a ridiculous amount of money. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I am dying to find that model in the automotive world. And I've yet to find it. Yeah. And I, all I'm, I'm doing, and, and I, I've, I know I'm making mistakes. I know I'm making mistakes. A lot of them. Yeah, me and too. I I act and I look back and I go, well, I shouldn't have done that. And I wonder, I wonder if I'll get there so, or I'll go broke trying. Uh, I don't know which one will happen. Here's what first. I don't it's like or the other. Again, my apologies. <laughs> Lucas's family's business model will not work in this sector of our industry. And I'll tell you why I think this is just my opinion. You'd probably argue with it anyway. Um, is that it's because what there's his parents sell is an experience, right? You got to remember if they're on a vacation, this is a once in a lifetime experience for, for those people that are going to come and see, you know, the, the gravity defying, you know, phenomenon they're going to, it's, it's a, it's a, it's something that people do to create a memory. What we do is create, uh, charges on something that people begrudgingly have to continue to pour money into as they own it. So it's, it's your, you wish you could have that David, but you've got to remember if you wish that for somebody, you have to attack the enthusiast market versus the daily driver market. That's why so many techs prefer, or you'll hear them say, you know, I, I left and I went to work on power sports or I went and, you know, to work on Harley Davidson's, something like that, right? Because people want to invest in that because of the feeling, euphoria, experience that it gives them when they're put, when they're fixing that, when they're enjoying it. When we're just fixing Mrs. Smith's Camry, it's a very noble, important thing. But the you cannot create that business model based on that because it's something where their emotions are tied is in a completely different place when they come to make that transaction. Does that make sense? I, yeah. I can understand. That's, yeah, I can understand what you're saying there. Uh, the the uh, I I see experience based oh, businesses sure. fail. Yeah. Yeah. You see amusement parks close; yeah. they go bankrupt. They're selling an experience. Then why didn't they succeed? And little roadside attractions 
fail all the time or they're dilapidated and, and run down and they built a business around what they had without resorting to tactics that cheapened. I wouldn't even say cheapened that violated their personal ethics, their personal morals. And here's, here's what it comes down to uh, at the end of the day for uh, somebody that, that takes that approach. It's the do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Right. They want to, they're going to treat other people the way they would want to Mm -hmm. be treated. If they were in that particular situation, that's how they approached it. And Mm -hmm. they were still able to build a, a successful business. And I am having a hell of a time trying to figure out a way to do that in the automotive world because, yeah, I mean, it, it would it be easy for me to cheapen my oil changes and make them nineteen ninety nine and pump as many cars into the shop and tell everybody if you're not flagging forty five hours a week you're fired? And could I do all that? Absolutely, I could do all that. I personally would not want to be the customer that gets that coupon and acts on it, knowing mm-hmm. what I know about vehicles. I would not want to be the technician who has to come to work to that pressure every single day. I would not want to be the service advisor that has to turn that many sales. You see what I'm saying? And so those, that particular uh, environment is not something I want to impose on my staff. So I try to impose on my staff the, the type of environment that I personally want to show up and work at. Mm -hmm. But the numbers still have to be the numbers, and the money still has to right. be the money. Right, the, you got to be still able to pay the work. bills. Yeah, you got to be able to pay the bills. And they were able to balance it. His parents were able to balance it. I, I yeah, and all, that's all I'm saying is it, not that we're selling this versus what they're selling. And I, I think you can take that approach in any business. In some instances, you see businesses succeed building that type of environment but and, and there are a lot of them that don't build that environment and succeed and then you see a lot that try to build that environment maybe don't do it the right way and fail and then a lot so, of them that do it the wrong way and still fail or do it but, you know the but, profitable but, way and still fail well, hang on here, so sir. Go ahead, Jeff. In business, we have to remember right it's about do you want to play long ball or do you want to get like if you just want to open one shop, make a bunch of money, and then maybe you want to decide you want to diversify your portfolio and go somewhere else and you want to sell it, right? This is what I've seen the dealer, some of the dealers doing where where I came from, Ottawa, they're now starting to sell some of those dealers off to dealer groups, which are, I'm talking like our national groups, like they own hundreds and hundreds of dealerships across multiple provinces, all owned by one singular dealer group. So that person that maybe it's a second generation, third generation dealership, um, it's just part of their now portfolio. Now they've played long ball, right? In the sense that they've it's been in the family for three generations, whatever. They played long ball. But for somebody that say just wants to open a um a repair shop and they open it, they do it for a couple of years, they build it into something and they sell it. That's a lot of people that don't want to play long ball. So maybe their business model and method of how they want to do it, it doesn't rely on so much on like, well, okay, so Mrs. Smith's daughter now brings her car and then 
you know, the granddaughter of Mrs. Smith, she's now becoming of age and she's starting to drive. They're going to continue to go to like LNN performance, right? As an example, or your shop, David, whereas somebody that might open a business and then see a, a trend change in business or in the industry, or might look at the technology and go, I don't want to tool up for all of that. ADOS, whatever EV, they may decide they want to get out. If they never had the plan to be in it 10 years, they're going to approach their business method to get to the goal of whatever that could be in a very different process than somebody that is that sees themselves never being without the business. I think that's the difference between long ball and playing a visionary short ball. Right. You know, so, so look, here, here's the thing is y'all sit here and talk about this. Here's what I think about is I think about being a kid mm-hmm. in a family business, right? And I, I don't think either one of you no. have, have been in that experience. And so growing up, I remember mom and dad yeah. arguing over money and, and fighting over money and crying over money. And I remember bill collectors and I remember good times. And I remember bad times. I remember the building burning down in 89 when I was just a kid. Um, I remember there was this this restaurant thing and my dad had mm-hmm. gone in and my family had always owned restaurants first. And my dad had gone in with, with somebody on a, a potential for a restaurant. And dad had laid out this game plan and this strategy. And they took mm-hmm. the strategy and built the business without him, even though he had mm-hmm. paid for the plans and paid for everything to make it happen. Yeah. And, um, and I I think part of that has made me who I am today because I realized, you know, and it, it, it didn't come to full circle until later in life when I started realizing that not everybody's your friend, not everybody's out to help you, right? Like there are people here out to get you and it sucks, but it, it, it's true. Um, I remember, and, and David and I have talked about this at length. I don't know if I've shared it with you, yes. but there was a pastor that my dad really, you know, wanted to help and really wanted to do things for. And, and he came to my dad and he said, Hey, I, I the ministry is going to fail if you don't take all this property that we went in on together. And, and it was a substantial amount of money and it was payments that mm-hmm. very few people could have made. And, and I got upset about it. And I, I like to this day and, and, and like, I, I realized this progression through life. Right. I remember them arguing over money when I was a kid. I remember things not going well and us not having money to go do things. And right. And then I remember things, they got better and better and better. And, and then when all that happened with that and it was these huge payments and I'm like freaking out about it, I'm like, dad, like, why in the world would you say yes? What were you thinking? Why did you do this? And he said, son, don't worry about it. It'll be all right. And I'm like, yeah, but what if this happens? And he's like, it doesn't matter what happens. Everything's going to be fine. This doesn't define who we are. This is a business. This is like we, we've we been through way worse and we'll be through way worse again. And it we've been through way better and we'll be through way better again. It, it just is. Well, right? He's like, don't put so much focus on the thing that's like right in front of you. And and yet, you know, and so so we sit here and we have these conversations and they feel so big. Right. But now I'm looking back and as y'all are having this conversation, I'm thinking about that and I'm thinking, man, maybe none of it's this big. Maybe, maybe my, you know, we talk about my parents' success. Maybe they didn't plan to be successful. Maybe they didn't make the right decisions. Maybe this road to success was paved with potholes and all of these different challenges and these things. And that's just what made them. Maybe the fact is 
you and our generation sees it as like the business defines what the family is. And maybe your parents, the family is what we are. And the business is just something that we have. Yeah. And maybe that's the difference. You grew up in the business. Exactly. Right. It was around you all the time. It was so forefront of, of your, the Underwood family identity is, is, you know, mystery Hill. Yeah. But to your mom and your father, it's just something they did. Right. It's a way that they made money. One of, yeah. one of more than one way that they made money. Right. Your father also had a business building houses and all that kind of jazz. That I think is where this generation, my generation, your generation, maybe some of David's is we're focused because we're focused on the money. We're focused on what it is we do, the job. And let's be real. Family is not what it used to be. Your parents, you know, uh, it's a completely yeah. different mindset. It's a completely different culture. Yeah. Right. It, and we can go into all the different scenarios and fragment of why is it and that's not really the part of this conversation that this whole podcast is about. But at the end of it, if you're going to be in business, right, you have to remember that it shouldn't define who you are as a person, but you shouldn't sacrifice who you are as a person either to, to define the business. Does that make sense? You don't, yeah. you don't sacrifice your yeah, morals and your, and your ethics. This is why I have so much respect for you because you don't. It's very obvious. Both of you gentlemen, you will not do it, right? And as that's been the beauty of me as I've started to network with more of the, the shop owners and stuff, I have a pretty good nose for genuine people. And I, that was the beauty of being able to go to ASC was to meet these genuine people. It's, why, do, why, why am I such a fan of Dutch, right? Because yeah. he's the most transparent person I've met in this industry yet. He's exactly as what he says. You know what I mean? Yeah. There is no, you don't have to know. You don't have to think about it. It's so, you just feel it. That he's exactly what he says. And his, his core is right there for everybody to see. Exactly what he thinks and what he feels. And it, that kind of conviction yeah. is so rare anymore. And it's, and it's rare in our industry. So to be able to be around people that are that way in this industry, that's the only reason that I'm still in it. And I still have the faith that that's why I do the podcast. That's why, because I'm not talking to every technician that's out there. I don't have enough. There isn't enough days left on my clock to talk to every one of them. But I want to talk to the ones that have the, the conviction and the gumption to tell people how they feel and why they feel that way. And then give input as to what they wish was different. They might be right or wrong, right? Yeah. I, I got a question. So yeah. last year was the first time you ever went to AST. And now mm -hmm. this will be your second year going. What are you going into this with a different, do you have a different mindset approaching it this time? Are you thinking about this differently when you, when we talked about the fact that you're going to come again and, and, have you thought about it? Oh, in a when I went last time, I, about it last I didn't time. know what to expect other than it was just like, oh, there's some training courses that I'm signed up for. And, you know, I'm going to take like, you know, one management course and the leadership course that it was going to take got canceled. And then, you know, a bunch of was technical courses. And this time I'm not going to be, you know, have a set schedule of classes that I'm going to sit in. I'm going to sit in a bunch for a couple minutes here and there. But the reality is I just want to go and continue 
to meet as many of the people that I've, that have reached out to me since I was there last year, you know, and sit down with them and have this exact kind of conversation or the kind of conversations that I've been recording with people and having the episodes. Just tell me, tell me what you think of being here, right? Or if you're a multiple time person, why do you keep coming back? Right. And I think that's a very important thing to think too, because if you're coming back and you're already like a really smart guy, you're getting more and more out of the training or is it the networking thing? Does it give you, cause I know when I come away from it, I feel motivated. Like I can go back to my life and my job with resolve that I am making a difference that I am, I am in a situation where I can improve my industry by attending that, by networking with these people, by hearing their input, I can bring it into my job and share it and make it better. I'm just not my shop. I'm not in control of it. But if I can teach somebody just a little bit of culture that I picked up from somebody way more successful than myself and and people that I work with, if they take one little nugget from it, how is that not worth it? Right? If everybody goes home with that and, and, and does that, how long will it take to change this? Yeah. Not that long. Think of the difference. You know, it but people have to do it. I, I, you know, I, I know we've talked a lot about my parents, but I mean, that's like my dad always told me when I, when growing up, he's like, you know, it's, it's when they walk out of here. Yeah. It's how you made them feel. It's the things you told them and, and the impact you made on them. And this is bigger than just like a roadside tourist attraction. Like you have an impact on their life and every person that you talk to and everything you say to every person matters. Right. And I I think that's something that can get lost on us sometimes. And I think it's sad that social media to a degree has taken that away because we don't realize how important the words that come out of our mouths are. Well, I mean, think about how small the world is. I'm probably not the first person from Kingston, Ontario that's ever walked onto mystery Hill. Right. It's not, it's very unlikely. It's very unlikely. But think about how many exactly. people, your exactly. parents' lives, they've touched just by saying hello or good morning or whatever, right? And and, and going on a tour and telling them about what, yeah. what is there. If your parents, if they actually sat yeah. down and thought about that, that could be a very overwhelming feeling, right? But they don't because it's just what they do. It's just yeah. what they do. And I just, it's my my role in all of this is just what i what i've always done which is just talk about it right share my frustrations with people with the industry and and try to be more open about why is it the way it is and it if we all agree that it needs to be improved which i think everybody ne- agrees that it needs some improvement yep. okay, let's work to it we're going to have all kinds of different yes. opinions and yep. arguments about how do we do it you know flat rate is the problem no flat rate's the greatest thing ever that's not what it's about. It's about, you know, it's about everybody. Yeah. Maybe we start, maybe we start with nixing mm-hmm. the entitlement. Maybe we start with, with nixing the, the judgment. We seek first to understand what other people are saying and, and truly dig in yeah. to understand. Maybe we start with kindness, Right. Maybe when somebody posts something we don't agree with, instead of jumping all over them, we say, "Hey, yeah, man, help me understand what you're getting at." That's something. Find I'm, a better way. I'm to positive. Talk. I'm you know, sure I, I'm doing better at in terms of trying to ask. Right? I, I just give me, show me what your job posting looks like. You know, show me, tell me what you're offering. Tell me why it is that people don't yeah. want to. You can't get people to 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 come work for you. 
Now, sometimes it really gets you frustrated and it makes you angry and you want to jump to conclusions when they don't bother to answer the question, right? And you can immediately go to that place and go, yep, it's still the round peg in the round hole. It's exactly what we thought. But that's just still a knee-jerk reaction and, and it's stupid and it doesn't solve anything. So let me ask you this. Since we've had those conversations about that, since we've had the conversations yeah. about slowing down a little bit before you respond and think about what it is, has that changed the way that people interact with you? Um, I, <laughs> I don't know if it's changed the way people interact with me. I think it's more it's changed the way I interact with them. I just think that maybe people, more people want to interact with me that I would have never thought would want to interact with me. Do, do you think it has had an impact on how you live your life and, and the the benefit that you've got from those relationships that you've gained? Do you, can you tell a difference in, in the way that life is right now compared to just with that little change, with slowing down and, and trying to understand what somebody's saying first? Well, the, the impact, impact it's made is life. the fact that it's like I, we can talk about things that are my, my job that, you know, have me concerned, have me worried. But I uh, the job is just now part of my day. You know what I mean? It's not my whole, it's, it wasn't my, it's no longer my whole identity. It's still what I do. It's still a job, but my, my, my purpose is to now be, um, connecting with more people that have a similar experience and a similar concern and a similar opinion and, and sharing that, trying to get them to understand where I was to how I got to where I am. Right. And I can, can I put a, a, a map, a dot on the map and say, I'm exactly at this place. No, I can't. It changes. It moves around. But if I can get more people opening up and being comfortable about, you know, speaking the way they feel without fear of repercussions, because that's a lot of it, right? You wouldn't believe the amount of people that contact me and say, I wish I could talk about what I want to feel, but I feel like I would be labeled as this, you know? That's, it's, it's amazing. Some of the people that have reached out to me, you would not think that they would be concerned, right? They have a skill set that would be like, they could go anywhere they wanted, but they're still concerned about that. And I don't know why it is for me that I feel so comfortable that it's like, I'm not worried. You know, if people want to judge me as, as whatever I am, but people have judged me, right? For 10 years that I've been ranting online, people have judged me. People have made assumptions about me. I'm good with it. Some of it's not wrong, you know, but it, it yeah. but the reality is, is that it had to be, true. something had to be done. Something had to happen, you know, and, and yeah. was I put here to do that? I don't yeah. know. But I mean, I feel like we're finally moving in a direction where we're getting more people talking about the industry, right? If Mike Allen will sit down with me and, and share a glass of bourbon and, and talk about his perspectives and my perspectives and we find common ground there. That's a pretty strong thing. That's a pretty, that's That's a pretty pretty respected individual in our industry, right? That, that can see common light. Do we agree on every little thing? No, but the fact that we're uncomfortable enough with each other that we can joke and rib and, and, you know, enlighten each other. I'd have never thought 10 years ago that me just starting to, to talk to random strangers in a, in a Facebook group would ever get to this. Ever. Right? (laughs) Amen, buddy. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening to the Changing the Industry podcast. If you enjoyed the show, do us a favor and leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. 
and don't forget to set it to automatically download the latest episode. Our efforts with this podcast, the YouTube channel, and the Facebook group wouldn't be possible without the support of our awesome sponsors. So please take a moment, check them out by clicking on the links in the show notes.